The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Authentic hope. Uh, really throughout, and I won't spend a long time on this matter as far as uh, a lot of times when I, I like to give a little brief kind of summary of what's been going on, only because uh, how many of you, maybe you started a movie and you push pause, right? And then you maybe come back to it a week later and then you turn it on and you're like, okay, wait, I have to remember what was this movie about? What's going on? And, and really that's all the summary is. It's just trying to get our gears turning and say, okay, where did we left off? Where did John, what was he speaking about? And uh, really as only a chapter of now two full chapters into it, uh, John has really uh, have been uh, encouraging the Christians, as he calls little children, uh, but while encouraging them, he's been refuting those that aren't in him, and uh, he's been uh, giving them and talking about and authenticating to the Christians about their authentic faith in Christ, while also pointing out the artificial faith that the Gnostics and everyone else that was falling away by false teaching their artificial uh, religion and savior. And and I'm thankful tonight, I don't know about you, but really the theme that he's been uh, giving to us, John here, uh, he's been just constantly, constantly reassuring us, constantly, constantly, hey, these are signs that you're of him. These are signs that you're born of him. These are signs that, uh, and tests that, uh, that if you have this in your life, guess what? That's evidence that you're saved. Uh, that's why in 1 John, at the very end of the book, when we get there in chapter 5, he says, these things have I written unto you. What things? All that we're learning. Everything that we're learning here. These are the proofs of your salvation. It's not just, he says, you can know that you're saved and gives you no evidence. He shows us tons of evidence. He gives us a lot. I mean, he is putting a, like a lawyer, a case together. Hey, you're in Christ if you have this. You're in Christ if you do this. You're in Christ if you lovingly obey him and keep his commandments. And uh, like Pastor Justin talked about last week, I was able to catch some of the podcasts, but uh, how many of us, we have spiritual struggles, right? <laughs> but it doesn't mean that necessarily that we're lost. All of us struggle, but I'm thankful that constantly what pulls us back is abiding in him. And uh, really tonight, I want to talk to you uh, about another uh, evidence, another assurance, uh, so to speak, that we all can have, and that's one thing that sets us apart from all other, uh, I guess, religions, you could say, uh, is that we have a true and authentic hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, he is our true hope. I love the song that says, hallelujah, praise the one that set me free, hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me, you have broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, what? My living hope. You know, we live in a world that kind of is always uh, putting their hope in something. Uh, maybe sons, or maybe even us, some of us tonight, we put our hope in our IRA or 401k, if you even have any of those. Uh, maybe you're putting your hope uh, in the things that you have, your status. But we understand all those things are faulty. They'll eventually fail. But if your hope is in the solid rock of Jesus Christ, guess what? That's an unfailing hope. And John... This is probably, and I don't want to, I could probably say this after each message, this is the most important. This is the most important. Pastor Justin probably said, this is the most important last week. We all could say that, and all of them are equally important. But let me tell you, he's about to wrap up a little bit of a section, and they all tied together. But this is something that we should reassure us tonight, is that we have authentic hope, and that hope is only in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Uh, but there's a, a thing where he, for the last next five verses, he talks about this kind of hope. He uh, explains to many of us of how we can obtain that hope or how do we know we have that hope. 
what's the root of that hope. And really, it's funny, in these next five verses, I just hope practically tonight, and again, I won't keep you long, uh, there's really five aspects of the Christian life that how we know we have hope, where it comes from, and all those things. And I'm just going to jump right into it tonight. Uh, but before I do, um, maybe some of you, if you're like me, you read the Bible, uh, you're saying, well, he, he should just do the first, next two verses of chapter 2 because that's all that's left. And so now chapter 3 is a whole new subject. Uh, just understand this as a little Bible teaching lesson here, and maybe most of you, I imagine everybody in the room knows this, uh, but understand in the Bible, in our translation, the chapters and the numbers are not divine. We agree with that. Uh, the chapters and numbers uh, were not inspired by God. He wasn't, as John was being moved by the Holy Ghost, he wasn't saying, now write chapter 3 and then 26. He wasn't doing that. Or I guess in the Greek, you know, the Roman numerals and stuff like that. Roman numeral 1, John. No, he, what happens is in our translation... Uh, when the, at the godly editors that they were, they uh, put these later on. And so uh, for the most part, I would say pretty most of them were, were, were right. And it was only really for our way of referencing. Rather than just have this whole thing, we could reference it. And so we could go to it. That way we could say 1 John 2, 2 or 1 John 3, 3. Uh, we could go to it. But as you know, they were just, as we know, as the men were translating and putting these in, for the most part, many of them were accurate but really, chapter 2, verse 20 and 29, really are the same subject of the first three verses of the next chapter. So really, you could say chapter 3 could, and you can make the case for yourself, but I believe that chapter 3 really could start at verse 28. Uh, and he talks about this subject of hope. And one indicator how we know that is look at verse 28 of chapter 2. And now. In other words, this. Everything I just said. Now, here's the final kind of statement on that, right? And now, he's, he's kind of putting a little uh, uh, tab right there. He's putting a little mark, a little benchmark saying, okay, and now, here's what we're going to speak about. Here's what we're going to talk about. But look at here in verse number 28. We'll read it together. He says, and now, little children. Uh, John has used this so many times already. If you've read the beginning of the chapter, he says little children. It's his affectionate way of talking about those. He's not talking about his physical offspring uh, or that. He's talking about those that are born of God, those that are in Christ. He says, now, little children, and then this is a word that John uses all the time. He says, abide in him. Uh, you see, here's the thing when it comes to our hope. Uh, when it comes to actually sustaining that hope, the Bible says this, number one, abiding sustains our hope. Abiding sustains our hope. Uh, if you knew about what it means to abide in Christ, or if anyone knew what it meant to abide in Christ, would you agree that John was probably a good candidate? Uh, John in the Bible, especially in John chapter 6 and 15, and, and really in, in his epistle here, John uses the word more than any other writer uh, in all the New Testament. Uh, abide, which means to remain, to continue with, uh, was such a uh, essential part uh, that John says of the Christian life. And uh, maybe some of you have read that John was what? He was the one that was closest to Jesus, right? By the way, it wasn't because uh, John, God chose John to be close to him. It was that John chose to be close to God. And we all have that same equal opportunity tonight to abide and to be close to him. Uh, but John, if you remember in John chapter 6, uh, if actually, why don't you turn there tonight? John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and we're just going to look at the beginning of it. Uh, this is the part where Jesus 
had been doing many different miracles and different things. But in John chapter 6, the Gospel of John, verse number 1, the Bible says this, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and verse number 2, and a great multitude, what? Followed him, because why? They saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. But then you see this crowd of people, they're saying, yes, I would sign me up. I'll follow a guy that's doing miracles. I want to follow a guy that's healing people. I mean, how many of you would want to be a part of that? I mean, raise your hand. Am I the only one? Okay, Miss Georgia. Me and Miss Georgia are the only ones. Ron in the back. Okay, we're the ones that would want to follow somebody that's healing people. I mean, he's doing miracles. I mean, that's easy. And the Bible says that it wasn't just one or just two, but it says a great multitude of people were following him. Wow, I want to be a part of that. Let's hop on that bandwagon. Wow, he's healing people, all right? If I got a arthritis pain or whatever, hey, Jesus, touch me. You know, I mean, I'm going to be around that. Who needs a doctor? I got Jesus, right? Look at the very end of chapter 6. There's his reason for abiding with him. That was their reason, following him. But then in verse number 66, all that changes. You see, Jesus starts to talk about he's the bread of life and that he was going to give his life and that he was going to give his body to be eaten. And they're like, what in the world is this guy talking about? Cannibalism? What is he? And he starts talking about how he's going to suffer and how the son of the son of God, he's going to suffer. I am the bread of life. And as he started talking about all these things, it was just wait a minute, this isn't what we signed up for. We signed up for miracles. We signed up for all the good stuff. We signed up for everything being uh, pie in the sky, everything just being wonderful. But now you're talking about suffering? You're talking about all this stuff? And look at the result of that. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and what? Walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the 12, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe that and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You see how many of us, see, here's the hope that we have in Jesus. We understand that in order for us to sustain our hope, and what I mean by that is this, how many of you have ever felt hopeless? You're like, I'm not allowed to say that I'm a Christian. No, I've had moments in my life and last year and so far, not this year, a little bit, because how many of you like me don't like January? Uh, but you, you find there's times where you just feel hopeless, not necessarily in the hopeless, like you're not going to heaven and those things. And that, and that happens sometimes. We have experienced doubts here and there. But how many of us, we, we feel hopeless sometimes. There's cir- our circumstances usually uh, are what, what brings that out is hopelessness. Well, how do we sustain hope? Because hope can be lost. You ever heard someone say that? All hope is lost. Just we're hopeless. Well, you see, how do we sustain it? This is why Jesus said, abide in me. Abide in me. In John 15, ironic that John writes about abiding again. John 15, what did he say? Jesus said, after uh, after he told Judas to leave, and this is how we know he's talking about Christians because Judas already left for the table. And I believe, and this is, you can read it yourself, I believe Jesus already got up from the table, took his disciples, and was already making his way to Gethsemane. Uh, the garden there, and I believe he saw a tree. The Bible doesn't say, I just believe that because anytime Jesus was giving uh, an allegory or an illustration or uh, talking about a fig tree, he saw it, he was seeing it, and it would talk about it. I believe he went to the garden, saw a tree, and says, hey, you know what, guys? I'm the vine. You're the branches. And God, my father, he's the husbandman. And you know he's talking about? Hey, listen, in this life, in order for you to sustain, or in order for you to remain lively spiritually, you have to abide in me. Because 
the moment you branch off, the moment you do that and you don't abide in me, what happens to the, to the branch? It dies. It lost its source. You see, John here in, in 1 John chapter 2 and 28, he says, and now little children, when it comes to hope, he says, abide in him. It's very, how many of you agree, it's essential that we abide in Christ. It's essential for our lives that we abide, that we continue, that we remain in him because he's the source of that hope. We have to, and any time in our lives, which we will come to that point where we feel hopeless or, or maybe not all hope is lost, but man, we, our, our hope, our, our doubts, those things, they start to dwindle. Understand this, he says, it's not that I'm trying to give it to you as a commandment because I'm God and I'm a dictator. He says, no, it's essential. You must abide in me. Because listen, you're gonna have suffering. You're gonna see miracles. How many of you seen miracles in your life? I have. Uh, how many of you, you've seen God do, uh, whether it's a little mountain or a big mountain, all mountains, doesn't matter. God has put you through it all. But at the same exact time, how many of you have experienced suffering? You've experienced pain. Guess what? Whether the mountain, whether the valley, abiding is essential for our hope. It sustains our hope. That's when I, you know what, when those days when I'm in doubt, you ever been those days in doubt and you're, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, you're just wondering and maybe a person needs to be saved and you lose hope, uh, you lose uh, that faith, that hope in that thing. Do you ever pick up the Bible, start walking with God, maybe just start praying and then all of a sudden it just seems like something's been rejuvenated. I don't know, it happened to me this afternoon. I'm like, you know, I was kind of, you know, weary from the, you know, vacation's over, everything else is over, and we love everybody here, but how many of you would just be realistic? Sometimes you're like, man, I just wish, life was a vacation 365 days a year, right? I just want to have all the fun, and Christmas was every day, right? We just have all of that. Well, understand that we all have those things, and it's natural, but I'm thankful that in the times of my life where I feel like my hope is dwindling, that God, because of his love, his grace, and his mercy, I can read his word. And I'm not just saying this as a cliche. I mean, read his word. I can pray. I can start abiding and walking with him. And you know what happens? My, my hope, you know, think, things are looking pretty good. You know, I can, I can move on tomorrow. I can move on the next day. I can get through this weekend. I can get through this month. And I'm thankful for that. And that's why John says it is essential that when we see him, he says, when we shall see him, look at verse 28. He says, when, we shall, when he shall appear, that being Jesus, that we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know what he's saying? He says, one, the abiding sustains our hope, but also when we're abiding in him and, and we're reading and walking in his word, that when he comes, we're not gonna be ones that are just kind of look away and just be like, wow, there's sometimes in my life I say, I hope God doesn't come back right now because I'm not doing what I should. But I'm thankful that if we consistently abide in him, he says, my little children, if ye abide in him, the reason why is so is that when that hope comes and becomes sight, that when we see him, that we can have confidence. You know what? That confidence isn't like this cocky, uh, or in some parts of the Bible, it means like a freedom of speech or some sort of uh, a proclamation. No, this confidence is like boldness. In other words, I can confidently say, yes, that's my savior. That's my Jesus. You know, there's some people that they're not gonna be confident because they're gonna be afraid. The Bible says they're gonna be ashamed. And can I tell you tonight how salvation is through all of this if you're not in Christ. Listen, those of us who are in Christ that abide in him, you know what? We can confidently say, that's my savior. But then if there's that trouble, that doubt, and I don't say it to kind of make you worry or afraid, but he says, listen, we abide in him. Why? So that when he comes, we may have confidence 
and not be ashamed before him at his coming. See, in order to sustain our hope, we have to abide in Christ. We must abide in him. Secondly, if we know that we can abide in him and that sustains our hope, how do we know that we have it in the first place? So we understand how to sustain it, but what if we don't have it? How do we understand? How do we, uh, how do we know that hope is manifested in us? And that brings us to verse number 29. Read it with me. Verse 29, if ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Secondly, righteousness signifies our hope. Righteousness signifies our hope. If anyone knew, or excuse me, my next point here, uh, if John explains that we, that when we do works of righteousness, that is not because of us, but it's because of Christ's righteousness in us. Uh, we've talked about, and I won't reiterate the point because John has talked about this over and over again, uh, but he says, what are the signs of a true believer? Well, it's somebody that's abiding in him, but also it's somebody that uh, is, their actions and their obedience, their loving obedience are doing works of righteousness. But he also says this. He says in verse 29, he says, if ye know, right, head knowledge that he is righteous, being God, then ye also know, this is by a knowing by experience, that everyone that doeth or practice righteousness is born of God. In other words, any righteous doing that you and I could ever do has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. Any righteousness, any good thing that I could do today, any good, by the way, if you would consider preaching right now or giving a message a righteous thing, guess what? It's not because of me. Because in me dwelleth what? No good thing. My righteousness, guess what? They're as filthy rags. And there's nothing that I could do, conjure up on my own without God and his righteousness, Jesus Christ's righteousness. It's not about my righteousness and it has everything to do with him. To know that we are in him and him in us, we have to do his righteousness, but the only way that we can is through his righteousness. You see, my hope, uh, how I know that I have hope is because my righteousness, it's a symbol, it's manifested in my life. When you see someone that they have hope, it's because their righteousness uh, uh, is manifested through Christ. Uh, You see, I don't have to worry about being good enough because Christ's righteousness was enough. Uh, I don't have to worry about doing enough because Christ's righteousness is enough. I don't have to wonder if the Father is pleased with me because he sees me and he sees his son's righteousness on me and that is enough. I don't have to wonder or or have to uh, try to conjure up something in my own life. If I do anything that is good, if Brian Barona does anything good in his life, know this, take it to the bank, it's not because of me, because of Jesus And when God looks down, he sees his son, he sees his righteousness imputed on us through his son, and because of that, that's where my hope is. I love what the songwriter says, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You see, understand this, our hope is in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And how do we know that we're in that hope? Well, you see, man, if any kind of righteous doing, any kind of good work that proceeds out of our lives, understand that it's not because of us, but all because of him, because of his righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Not only do we see that, that our hope is sustained by our constant abiding with him, 
Not only do we see it and it's revealed, it's signified to others in our lives. How we know we have it is because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But secondly, or thirdly, love is the source of our hope. Love is the source of our hope. If you turn with me to chapter three, if you're already there, look what he says. And this is kind of an interesting, and I can see maybe why the the, the writers, uh, or the translators, excuse me, put chapter three in this at the beginning point because of how bold and how powerful this statement is. Look what he says in verse number one of chapter three. Behold, which means to look, to perceive, to acknowledge what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. He says, behold, he says, children, my little children, look at the wonderful grace, the wonderful greatness of God's love, the Father that he's bestowed upon us. Uh, That word bestowed is great because it actually has a a meaning where it's really a one-way giving. In other words, there's nothing we could have given that would ever uh, be in comparison to what he bestowed on us, that he's given us. I mean, think about the love of God. But you say, what does love have to do with hope? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll turn there with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I love how the Bible... Uh, no matter what the author, what the place, it all threads together. And we have Paul, who's a totally different author, writing this at a totally different time than John, in a different place than John, and yet they both complement each other when it comes to love. How does love, it's how is love the root? How is love the source of our hope? In First, uh, first Corinthians chapter 13, uh, Paul in this chapter, uh, he's talking to the church that is in chaotic trouble, It's a church that is uh, well-gifted, well-talented, but lacks a severe component. And Paul, for a whole chapter, one of the most convicting chapters of my life, uh, chapter 13, he speaks on love. And at the very, very end, uh, verse 13 of chapter 13, he kind of puts a shelf up and says, hey, in the Christian life, here's some things that you ought to have. And he lists them. He says, and now abideth, there's that word again, faith, hope, and charity, which is love. He says, these three, right? These are the things that should abide in your life. You should have faith, hope, and charity. But then he says this. He says, uh, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, for many of us, that's kind of confusing. And here's why. Because he says, these are the greatest things you need to have in your life. You need to have faith, and you need to have hope, and you have charity. But he almost says, But if you have to choose one, he says, don't pick hope and don't pick faith. Well, won't you agree that faith is very important? For by grace are you saved through faith. Okay, well, well, Paul, that's very important, so we need it, okay? I don't know what he's talking about. We need faith. Well, hope, of course we need hope. How many of you need hope tonight? I need hope in knowing that when I'm done with this life that I'm going somewhere. I mean, this is what my life is. I've given my life to this. Of course I need hope. I mean, Paul, how do you choose between the three? Well, he says, well, it's easy. I'll pick it for you. It's love. And you say, well, why would he say pick love? This message is about hope. So why are you telling us we have to have love? Because here's the thing. If you don't have God's agape love, you can't have the other two. You say, why? Well, let's go through it. Faith. He says, and now by faith, hope, and charity. Faith 
in order for us to have faith in God, we have to first love him. You're saying, well, how does that work? Anybody that says they have, oh, I believe in God, I have faith in God, well, do you love him? No. Do you automatically sit there and think, okay, well, they're saved. All right, they're saved. They, they have faith in God, they just don't love God. No, you can't have faith in God unless you love him. The reason why I put my faith and my trust in him is because I found out that he loved me. I found out that this is the reason why I love him because he first loved me. You see, I can't, see, everybody in the world says they could have, they could believe in a God and a Jesus, but unless you understand the love that drawed him down to die on the cross so that we could by faith, by grace through faith, trust in him, listen, we can't have faith unless we choose to love him. Then he says this. He says, see, if you don't have love, you can't have faith. But he says also you can't have hope unless you have love. You see this, it kind of goes all in order, but he says, and now abideth faith and then hope and then charity because the greatest of these is love. When you love God, when you choose to love him, then you by faith trust in him. And then as the next pecking order, now that I've trusted in him and I have faith in him, now I can have hope in heaven to come. You see, you can't have any of those, Paul says. Those are important to the Christian life. He says, but if you don't love God, an agape love, an agape love means this. It's a selfless, sacrificial love. It's not a phileo love. It's not a love that says, I love you because you love me, and that's why I love you. It's not an eros love, which is just a physical love. He says, no, it is a love that regardless of whether you love me or not, I love you. And not only do I love you, but I'm gonna prove that love to you. And God, when he came down and he sent hope to us, he sent Jesus to us, that love that God bestowed on us, that's what causes us to have you know what, I love him because he first loved me. And because of that, I'm gonna put my faith and trust in him. And now that I put my faith and trust in him, look what comes next. Well, now I have a hope in heaven. You see, you can't have it. You see, love is the great, and this is a whole nother message, and I'll get all messed up here and wanna jump into that. But can I say that love is the source of our hope. It's the very beginning. It's the source of our hope. It's why we have hope, and it's because of God's love. And that's what John is trying to say here. He says, listen, behold this thought. Think about this. A rotten, wretched sinner like myself, someone who deserves the bottomless pit, the darkest separated part of all of eternity from God, but yet look what he decides to do. He says, behold what manner of love, agape love that God the Father hath given us, bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. Man, I don't know about you, but that should rejuvenize your hope. To say, man, I don't deserve this, but God loves me so much that he gave his son to die for me. And because of that, man, that, that, that perks me up a little bit. That allows me to have hope in God because love, God's love is the source of all our hope. The source of all our hope. You're all listening great. Uh, and we're gonna be done in just a moment. But then he says this. So we understand that to sustain our hope, well, we have to abide in him. That's essential. How do we know we have hope? How can we physically have evidence in our lives? Well, the Bible says that, that when we do righteousness, that righteousness is the signal. It's manifested. It, it, it signifies our hope. And that's the only righteousness that we have is Christ's righteousness because ours, uh, they're no good. But then he says the source of our hope is love. It's the source. It's the beginning. It's the origin of our hope because it's the actual love that drove down that, that God's plan was to come and redeem us. And if he doesn't do that, we don't have hope. But because of his love, now we have hope. We have hope because Jesus came. He bled and died 
for love's sake for you and I, and now we have that hope. So that's the source. But now I wanted to turn your attention to verse number two of chapter three. He says this, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, being Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see, love is the source of our hope, but Christ's appearing will seal our hope. Christ's appearing will seal our hope. Aren't you going to be glad for the day when our faith will be made sight? Aren't you glad for the day that finally you're like, man, the thing that I've been hoping for, the thing that I've been striving for, I've lived and dedicated my life. I mean, I could go around the room and I've already seen faces of some of you that have lived a lot longer than I have and have been uh, through the fire, that have been through the trenches, that have been through so much, and yet you're still here. Aren't you going to be glad for the day when finally your faith is going to be made sight and everything that you've done? And listen, uh, it's a time where the Bible says he'll wipe away our tears. We know that we could have done more and I could have done more and we're all gonna have those things and we'll cast our, our, our crowns and our things at Jesus' feet. But ultimately, the greatest reward is when our hope is finally fulfilled, it's sealed when we see him. And not only that, but he says, not only are we gonna see him, but we're gonna be like him. And I don't know about you, but that is a great day. I'm tired of being me. How about you? I am sick and tired of this guy. He is a Philly rut rat, and he just needs to get on with his life. But I'm thankful for the day that when I see him, I'll see him as he is, and I'll be just like him. He says, our hope that you've been abiding and sustaining for, the righteousness that signifies it, the, uh, 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 the, the love that's the source of it. But he says, man, when we finally see him, man, that is going to seal it. That's Gonna be, it's going to be fulfilled. All things uh, will be done. John begins this section, or talks about this section, about seeing him. John states that when we see Christ, our hope will be fulfilled. Our faith will become sight. No longer will we wonder, but we will be like him. This is our hope when hope is made sight. I'm thankful for heaven and the kingdom to come. Not only will it be sealed, but then this is what it all comes down to, and this is how John, and we're gonna wrap up and we'll be done, we'll take our offering. Not only do we understand how to sustain it, and that's by abiding in him. You cannot sustain, listen, if you feel hopeless tonight, you need to abide in him. You need to say, you know, I gotta pick up my Bible no matter where I'm at. I need to walk with him. I need to ask him, talk with him. He wants to walk with you, and he desires to, and he wants you to abide in him, not because he's a dictator, not because he commands you, and there's no, uh, there's no rhyme or reason why. No, there is a rhyme and reason, and it's so that you can abide and that you could sustain your hope. But not only that, but our righteousness signifies that hope. The love is the source of that hope. When we see him, everything will be fulfilled. It'll, be, it'll seal our hope. But then all those things provokes us to do something. And that pure living is stirred because of our hope. Pure living is stirred. This is what I mean. Look at verse number three. And every man that hath this what? Hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. When I know that my hope is sure, secured, sustained in Jesus Christ, you know what it stirs me to do? To live a life for him. You see, when your motivation to serve God and to do things for God is anything but a genuine love for him and what he's done for you, you know what happens is that eventually begins to wear off. Uh, those things begin to kind of become shaky. Uh, and then eventually your hope, as some would say, becomes lost. But God says, listen, 
when all the things you realize he's bestowed on us, when you realize when I abide in him, when you realize that all the things that he's done for me and that he is coming soon, it's not a, it's not a, a mystery, it's not a fairy tale, Jesus is coming back and he will come back. When I realize all these things, it stirs my heart, it stirs my life to live purely for him because he's pure. You see, that's what motivates our lives, to live for him. If you have any other motivation, this has been talked about already. John's already talked about this before, but he reiterates it, reiterates it again. He says, he and every man that hath this hope, this hope that he just talked about, everything that you just heard, he says, every man that has this hope in him, they'll purify themselves. They'll live a godly, pure life, not because they're told to, they've been slapped to on the hand to, been forced to, but no, it's just, it's just natural. I'm stirred in my heart to say, you know what? I wanna live for him. You know what, this sin that, that, that besets me, you know what, I'm not saying that you're sinlessly perfect and that's gonna be all the next, the next verses coming, uh, the verses that are coming next with Pastor Will. But understand this, he says, uh, I, I live my life in a way where not, I'm not habitually sinning, but I'm living my life in a way in the purest form that I could possibly live and it's not because of me, but all through his spirit and Jesus Christ. Pure living is stirred because of our hope. It stirs me to say, you know what? The true hope that I have, it's not because no one's forcing me to or twisting my arm. I just wanna do it. I just wanna live for him. I just wanna live my life and pure as he is pure. Will I ever attain it? No, not in this life because I live in this stupid thing called flesh and I'm not gonna be able to, but you know what? To the best I can, you know what? I'm gonna live pure. I'm gonna, in my mind, in my heart, in my actions. You know what it also stirs us to do? When you have something so great and so wonderful, all of us just got through Christmas, okay? And we, maybe you bought your, your spouse something, your child something, whatever it is. You bought something, and how many are like me? I'm just like impatient. I want to tell them. I will not wait. I'll just like, okay, I give in. All right, I'm just going to, here's the gift. Open it up. No, uh, you want to give it to them because it excites you. You know they're going to love it, and maybe it's even something you had in your own life. You're like, yeah, this is great. I want you to try this. This is going to be great for you, but far above any material thing. You know what causes me not only to live purely, but to tell others about it? You know, I say, hey, there's this hope. And, I, and you may be hopeless tonight, and you may be hopeless, uh, where, and I don't even know where you're at, but you know what, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about his son? Can I tell you about him? I, we were just at a nursing home a couple weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, and, and, uh, I, and you know, I don't consider myself a very good soul winner. I'm not, I'm trying to be, I want to be a good one. Uh, and, but I, many times if people, uh, you know, we live in the harsh Northeast and everybody doesn't give you a time, uh, time of day, uh, but we're in a nursing home and, you know, I've, we've had a long weekend and then going there Saturday, I preached and we sang some songs. You know, we, Miss Sandy and I and Miss Ann and some others that like to come, we, we like to do it. Uh, but then I, I kind of had in my mind, okay, I got to get out of here. I got to go, you know, we got, we got things to do. We got appointments and places to be. Uh, but this guy rolled in, tattooed up everything else. His name was Dave, and he, you know, just wanted to talk. Uh, uh, he, he had some questions, and, and uh, the, the lady there told me about him. She said, hey, why don't you talk to him? And, and I don't know what it was. And by the way, I have to know this is Jesus and the Holy Spirit because I, I naturally don't want to talk to people. I'm sorry. But if you know me, I don't want to talk to people. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very reserved. I'm introvert by nature. And I don't know this man. He looks like a rough guy. I mean, he fought in Vietnam. I mean, this guy uh, had, was talking to me about bombs blasting and all these different things. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I don't know if this guy's going to give me time of day. And he actually seems like one of the people there that, you know, understood things and, and, and knew who you are and, and could talk to you. But there's something inside, and I don't know what it is, but it was just say, hey, talk to him. 
hey, talk to him. And, and he's basically saying, what must I do at one point? And if you could pray for him, I was able to talk to him for a while, and he's, he's almost there. He's right there. Uh, but you know what? Where does that come from? Well, you see, when you understand the hope that lieth in you, the living hope, the hope that's not just something, a fairy tale or something that's drawn up by some author of some fiction, fictional story. No, this is a true and living hope that we have in Jesus. And when you know how important it is, when you know how uh, it sustains you, it helps you, it keeps you, it's, it sources love. When you find out all those things and that he's coming back, what it drives you to do is to live a pure life, a clean and godly life. But it also allows you and provokes you, stirs you to tell others about it hey, I want to tell you about this hope. I want to tell you about this Jesus. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but no more fitting message than one this morning. And then also I'm reading it tonight, and some of, I was telling some guy in the back, Josh in the back, he's like, oh, what are you preaching? I'm like, hope. And he's like, oh, that's fitting. Did you pick it? I said, nope, it's in the next chapter, next verse. 2020, hey, this is, listen, if, this, if last year was a hopeless year, I guarantee you this year, because of Jesus, let it be full of hope. It's a living hope. It's a hope that will never die. And Jesus, or John tells us, that we have to sustain it. And the only way we do it is by abiding in him. The way that we know that we have it is by Christ's righteousness in us and lived out. We know from its source, it's by love. It's only by love. That's the greatest of these is charity. Faith, hope, and love, that's great. But the source of our hope is the love that came down so that we could have hope. And then Christ's appearing, he's gonna seal it all. It's, gonna, it's all gonna be fulfilled, all about it. And because of all of those great attributes and things, those truths that we know, Pure living, it just stirs us to, to live for God. It stirs us to every day tell everyone about him and to live for him. And I hope tonight that you, if you don't have hope, maybe you're like, I'm hearing this for the first time. Hey, listen, this is, this is a hope that we can show you. It's not because of something I drawled up. I can't write this stuff. I can't find anybody in the world that could write this stuff. But you know who can and did? Jesus Christ. And he wants to be your hope. He wants to be your living savior. My hope is built on nothing less. Guess what? but then Jesus' blood and righteousness. He wants to be your hope tonight. And if you are saved tonight, which I believe for many of us we are, and you are the sons of God, John says, man, what a thought. What, a, what manner of love of this? Like how could someone, a God that so holy and us so unjust, yet he would bestow these, these things on us, his son, so that we could have hope. Hey, be reassured today. If you're feeling you're hopeless today and you're a Christian, hey, guess what? Get back into the abiding game. Get back into the sustaining. Get back into the remaining with him because he wants to abide with you, but only if you abide in him. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.